0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome both a co-host and our guest, Nate Gilmore, to the show. Welcome, Nate. Thank you, Jeremy. It's nice to be here nate is the chief revenue officer of pandadoc and i'm sure you've heard of pandadoc you probably have had to sign some documents using their technology but they provide document automation software to streamline the process of creating, signing and approving proposals, quotes and contracts and my co-host today is none other than my general co-host these days ally merritt welcome ally thank you jeremy all right. Well, we're going to dive right in. And Nate, I'm going to ask you a question to get to know you a little better and love to find out one of your favorite sales or leadership or business books, and maybe a couple takeaways you got from that book.
1: The book that I think was the most actionable for me was the Sales Automation Formula by Mark Roberge. I was really focused on helping companies get to $100 million in ARR and SaaS in particular. And he just really broke down a bunch of elements not just like how do you build a sales team but also like, like what is a good hiring framework and a training framework and what does a buyer journey look like and um, i just found it to be a, an, an incredibly easy to digest and put into action book um, and so i think that's a that's a testament to his skill as an operator
2: we also love Mark. He actually just presented at our Gene Virtual Summit. Was there anything that he said in the book that surprised you? Because you've got a really long experience and career here. So was there anything that he broke down to an element that you were like, oh huh? Yeah. I think
1: when he was getting into hiring and training, he has done so much of that. He's done, you know, 10x more than I have. And so it was just like, oh my God. Okay, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And here's a great like Framework to how to think about, like, here's what our successful people have done and actually map that so that you hire people with those same characteristics. And then also, he's incredibly data driven. So demystifying the gut hunch and just kind of going, let's test it and let's look at it and, and then let's present it back and then let's use it and let's grow based on it. So I think that there's this like macro level, always have principle framework that you're working with and you're testing around.
0: We're going to talk about a lot of topics today, and they're all around, you know, how you are able to build predictable, repeatable, scalable revenue, especially in a challenging time. One of the things we want to start with was something we have not talked a lot about on the show, which is activity tracking. That is very common for sales development organizations, but far less common for inside sellers and almost non-existent for field sellers. So I'd love to hear your perspectives on how you're thinking about that and why that's top of mind for you right now.
1: Yeah. So our, our sales leadership team put in place like a daily tracker. We've got a lot of different cohorts going on with a lot of different teams dealing with different aspects of both inbound and outbound and um, and how many proposals have you sent and all this kind of stuff. So one of the hard things was getting the data into something that can get out. But then that really is allowing the sales leadership to really look at where have we bent the curve, where have we not bent the curve? And where, should we, where do we need to lean in with more coaching? And where do we need to lean out because something's not working? And so I think you know, one of my coaches was also very much as, as they went into the pandemic, we have to really go towards activity levels and then finding the activities that are really leveling up the organization. I mean, ultimately, it's like you're looking at the overall business, but it's also about helping individuals see where they're not stacking up against other people that are successful.
2: How have you sort of driven that change management side, shall we say, with some of the sales reps? Sometimes it's hard to get people on board, even if you have the statistics saying that this is the way that's it's working. How did your sales teams and their leadership drive that with the reps on the front line to make those changes?
1: We're actually struggling with pieces of that. I think some of the things that we've done well is when things are simple and people understand why and it's obvious like how it's going to be and it's going to be more long term. I think those have been successful, especially if they're supported at the highest levels. When things are rolled out ad hoc and without ongoing repetitiveness behind it,
0: I think that's where things have broken down for us. So often people think about the quantity of activities, but you mentioned, I think, sort of the activities that matter. For you, what are the activities that are worth measuring? One of the things that we measure is like
1: proposals out. We're a proposal platform. And so Sending a proposal is a absolute clear stage of our, of our sales funnel. It is crisp. It's clear right in the funnel. And so we know how many go out and we have very clear criteria about when a deal is both in our state, what we call stage three, and a proposal is outstanding. Like we know that we have a champion there. We have a next step and we have incentive in place. This shows us clarity on kind of like where somebody's at and are they doing enough on that particular activity. Right now we're really focused on calling. So calling is a really big activity that we're
0: trying to drive more adoption to. Have you found that your AEs are able to get through to prospects by phone that I guess people's phone systems are forwarding or they're just getting mobile numbers? How how are they actually connecting? Connection rates are up. For us, we also have a strong
1: inbound funnel. And so rather than just default to send an email, let's also pick up the phone and
0: dial. There'll be sometimes prospects who will say, yeah, send me a proposal super early. You know, that's a fool's errand often. So where do you coach your reps on timing? So for us, the proposal is also the product. So like, I love to get the product in front of customers
1: as fast as we can, right? So one of the reps I was talking to was, to, I was asking like, how fast can you get a proposal out when you're in a good call? And it's like, oh, I can get one out in about seven or eight minutes. And I'm like, that's great, right? So getting a proposal out super quick is good because then they can see the product, they can see what they're talking about, and they can also see the pricing really fast. For us, it's also really relevant because our proposals have actionable analytics on them. If somebody views it, then you can also see when they viewed it, what they're looking at, and all that kind of stuff. So for us, getting proposals out fast is part of our value prop, and it's part of our overall mechanism for our sales funnel.
2: Have you changed any of the activities that you're tracking? Uh, You mentioned it, you know, changing the calls during COVID, but you also mentioned new growth channels and kind of how you were positioning the product. So have you seen proposals being sent a little bit differently now?
1: Not necessarily on proposals being sent there. Certainly we, we did launch a freemium product. So we're like the biggest channel that we're working on right now is we've always been a free trial company. We also launched a freemium e-signature product. That's something in order to help the community. Because as everybody went digital, like getting contracts done is is also something meaningful. But then also it's part of our, we're now like layering on a freemium funnel into that. And so getting the customers into the product fast is, is really relevant there.
2: Since people I know really are focused on finding those new growth channels right now as things change and traditional ones fall off, how did you decide to make that pivot to the freemium model?
1: So we've been thinking about it for a while. So the freemium model pivot was like, hey, let's do this. With the way that you asked the question, I would say that there's another couple of things that we've also done, and that is we've been listening to our sales team of what's coming in the funnel and what they thought that they should be able to close, but they were challenged in closing. And so how do we remove some blockers to be able to open up new verticals was one of the key things that happened in Q2 as we were looking at, hey, we're not closing healthcare very well. Healthcare is really a big vertical right now. Uh, Education is huge because all these schools are going remote. And so listening to the sales team, listening to um, what's kind of going on in the funnel, and really sales leadership saying, we have an opportunity to go do this with something very similar, but I need the following things either built or removed to make it happen.
0: I'm always curious about how people learn as they move up in the executive ranks in particular. Tell me a little bit about what led you to engage a coach and how you work with your coach.
1: Sure. So um, this is my first CRO job. Like I wanted to work with somebody who's been there, done that a bunch of different times. Like my engagement with Barrett is there's nothing like coaching in the moment. Like whether you're giving coaching or receiving coaching, right? There's like structural things that I bring to them. I'm thinking about this. How have you thought about it in the past? And then there's also Here's what's going on this week. I just needed a second set of eyes on something. I've tried to become a good coach as well. It's an important skill. Coaching
0: people where they're at is really key. Training has transformed in this work at home era that we're in. What made you decide to double to triple down? Actually, I think was what you had described it as in training.
1: It comes down to like consistency of training. ABT always be training, right? Like you've got to continue to constantly train. Scenario-based training, so like we're doing a lot of like role- trade play training and stuff like that, that stuff I think it happened a lot more when people were side by side, but now we're losing that a little bit. Like our team has definitely increased the amount of role-playing training, structured training and made it much more consistent, blocking it out on people's calendar's way ahead of time, kind of thing, and just keeping it constant.
2: How do you get them to commit to doing it without distractions and maximum engagement? Because that's the hardest part for this virtual side.
1: It just comes down to structuring it out on the calendar and making sure it's not overwhelming. Being prepared too. So like not jumping into training and not having it all like ready for people.
2: How much is too much? When is it overwhelming?
1: Multiple times in a week with too many different things is overwhelming. If it's additive or if you're launching one particular, like if you're launching something new, right, that's going to be additive to it, then you also have to back it up the next couple of weeks with check-ins and role plays and things like that. So it builds proficiency. I think it's going to depend on the difficulty and the structure and how much headspace has already been occupied.
0: I'm curious. I always love to ask chief revenue officers in particular, since they've had experience with so many AEs, as you reflect on the number one AE in PandaDoc or the number one AE in any of the prior places that you've worked, do you see any common patterns or hallmarks, traits, behaviors that stand out across all of those number ones? I think time management and structure for the day. Consistency makes you number one. Just like if you go to the gym once and then you don't show up for six more months, I agree with you completely. We have two AEs who constantly battle for number one year after year inside a sales loft. And uh, one of them in particular, who uh, she often ends up on top, she uh, is the absolute picture of time management, of discipline, of consistency. If you ask her about any deal at any time, she knows everything. In particular, she knows what the next step is. And that principle of like time management and focus and discipline is. It sounds basic, right? But why do you think it is that so few reps are able to maintain that discipline and that consistency?
1: It's just like people fall out of the gym. There's a lot of data on habit formation and how hard it is to get to habit formation, whether it's 21 days or 30 days. I've given the time to form this habit and it's working and I'm going to keep on doing it and consistently do it. It's hard to do. I mean, we're humans.
0: One last question we wanted to ask you is a bit of a background question, which is you're now one of several senior sales leaders who were lawyers at one point at the beginning of their career. Why did you move out of law into sales and why do you think you see this movement from law to sales and then up into sales leadership? I'm curious on your theories behind that.
1: The reason I originally left is I felt like being a lawyer, you always come in after the fact. I like to build things. And so ultimately, I I didn't just lead for sales. I left for startups. I like the process of working with a team of people to try and accomplish something that seems impossible when you start and then levels of impossibility peel away. Some aspects of law that I think carry through into sales is being able to articulate an argument, being able to really document something cleanly, being detail-oriented, I think all of these things help people in sales careers.
2: My husband's an attorney, and I've noted that it's allowed him to really focus in on what is the big question, what is the target that you need to find out, and he just keeps asking how and why until he gets to it. Uh, And I think that that's definitely an area that sales would benefit from as well.
1: You just hit on something that I probably should have added, Ali, which is the Socratic method as a training tool is incredibly meaningful for both salespeople talking to clients because you're constantly digging and you're using the next thing they said to get to the next thing and kind of go all the way down to what is at the root. But it also helps with training as well. I find that I ask more questions than other people tend to do when doing trainings.
0: Well, it brings us full circle that that is the hallmark of great listening is turning around and being able to ask great questions about things that were left unclear. Well, fortunately, you didn't leave anything unclear for us today. So I really appreciate the time today. If people want to learn more about PandaDoc or learn more about you, Nate, what's the best way for them to do that? PandaDoc.com
1: for PandaDoc. You find me on LinkedIn, just Nate Gilmore on LinkedIn. And I always say, if you mention this recording that you saw it there, I'll be sure to accept and contact you.
0: As long as I'm not pushing a franchise opportunity your way, which seems to be all my LinkedIn connections these days. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. Hey Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople Podcast.